Well, uh, we are in this series, uh, week two of this series today, uh, just called The Gospel. And we are going to take about five weeks or so and uh, just unpack this gospel. What is this gospel? This gospel is the lifeblood of who we are. We need to know who we are. We need to know how to share. We need to be vigilant about the things that we claim as gospel because there are so many things that have made their way into the gospel that we claim as truth that are just plain not biblical. And so God, we, we need to just make sure our beliefs are biblical and that we're not letting those things into our lives. And so last week, uh, we took a long, hard look into Matthew chapter 7 and talked a lot about spiritual deception. This idea that, that Jesus is talking to, to believers. He's not talking to, to unbelievers. He's not talking to atheists or agnostics. He's talking to people who believe, who are following him. He gives us these pictures of, of a wide road and a narrow road. He gives us this picture of a good tree bearing good fruit and a bad tree bearing bad fruit, and you can't be another thing. There's no good tree that bears bad fruit. There's no bad tree that bears good fruit. There, there has to be fruit, right? He gives us this tree, this, this story about the sand and, and, and the rock and the foundations that we go on. And, and in the end, he says, many will say to me on that day, and I just want you to hear that word, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? And the response from Jesus to these people who, who say, Lord, Lord, who say, didn't we cast out demons and didn't we do all of this in your name? His response to them is, I never knew you. And the question I asked last week, is it possible to be deceived? Is it possible to be deceived? And I just want to kind of go back for a second to last week and just talk about a few things. Because one of the things that we talked about, we spent a lot of time talking about fruit and showing fruit in your lives and, having, and, and that being a, a case for whether or not you are on which path you are, which tree you are, which foundation you're on. We talked about fruit a lot and and I don't want to, I, I, I didn't mean to confuse you last week. In no way, shape, or form am I talking about any sort of works righteousness. Fruit is not about what you can do for God. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. We, we, are not, we are saved by our faith and not by anything that we can do. And I, I firmly believe that your saving faith can and will urge you and spur you on to action, but that action in no way saves you. That action in no way gets you, gets you anything in terms of salvation, but you will live differently because of your faith in Christ, that can be sure. I, I want to just, I was thinking about this this week as I was having these conversations with people, just to define fruit. What, do I, what am I talking about when I'm talking about fruit, and, and, and as I was kind of processing, the definition that I came up with and that I've been passing back and forth with people is, is fruit is evidence of the work of Christ in you, not evidence of your work for Christ. Does that make sense? Fruit is evidence in your life that Christ is working in you, not evidence outside your life that you are working for Christ. Right, this is not, in no way am I saying that anything that you do can save you. But the question that I was asking last week was really this, are you in the many or are you in the few? 
where do you stand? And, and really, there's, there's two results. When we, when we do what 2 Corinthians 13 says, like last week, and we, we examine ourselves and we ask this question, there's really going to be two answers. And you can either say, yes, I, I am in Christ. And, and really, the, this is an important thing because if we can answer this way, if we can say, yes, I am in Christ, then maybe we can, we can rediscover the joy of the gospel and how it has taken root in our lives. And we can celebrate in that gospel. But maybe the answer is the other answer. And maybe the answer is, no, maybe I've been basing my salvation off of, I've just assumed salvation without any biblical sort of foundation. And and if that is the case, then maybe the result of that is that you now begin to run towards Christ and to to run towards Him for your salvation, not not to try and earn it. We can be assured of our salvation. There is not no amount of things that we can do here on this earth that will earn us our salvation, but we can be assured of it because it comes freely from the grace of God. And this is the road that we're traveling over this next few weeks. We're going to unpack this gospel. We're going to unpack what it means to, to know this gospel, to follow this gospel. And the goal of this series is not a, not a pocket version. It's not a simplified version of the gospel. In no way do I want to just simplify the gospel to, to something that's so simple that I think we've done that too much, and I think we've, we've done the gospel in injustice. But I want to see the gospel for what it is. I want to look at the content of the gospel and then look at how that changes and shapes our lives. And so this morning, uh, I want you to just take a minute and just think with me. And I want you to answer this question with yourself. And if you're listening on the podcast, I want you to push pause for a second and just think. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Today, I want to I take a look at kind of a, a thick passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 3. If you're in your pew Bibles, Romans chapter 3 is on 797. Uh, I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, to just, just join with me in Romans chapter 3. We're going to be there most of the time. We're going to be kind of throughout Romans, but Romans chapter 3 is going to be our, our foundation this, this morning. Martin Luther uh, called this chapter the chief point of the whole Bible. Right, this, this is a picture of the gospel. So Romans chapter 3. We're going to start this morning at verse 21 and we're going to go to 26. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 21. Paul says this, But now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the, and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus, Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This is just a, like I said, this is a thick passage. This isn't just a, you're not going to read this once and just all of a sudden come to understand this passage. There's a, there's a lot that goes into this passage. But what I want to do this morning is I, I really want to kind of give it my best shot and, get, and just kind of, 
I'm going to give you a, a long, run-on sentence summary of the gospel. I'm going to be honest with you, this probably isn't a real sentence, but it's a run-on, but this is the gospel. And we're going to unpack this, this gospel in light of these five verses. And here, here is essentially the gospel. The gospel is that the just and gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people and sent His Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear His wrath against sin on the cross and to, to show His power over sin in the resurrection so that all who have faith in Him will be reconciled to God forever. I'm going to read that one more time. I know it's a long sentence. I apologize. We're going to unpack this piece by piece, though. The gospel is this, that the just and gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people and sent His Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear His wrath against sin on the cross and to show His power over sin in the resurrection so that all who have faith in Him will be reconciled to God forever. I want to unpack that sentence in light of what we've read in Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 21. And I'll just start with this. The, that the just and gracious God of the universe. The just and gracious God of the universe. Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 21 starts with this word, but. Now, whenever you see the word but, or whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, it means something. You know, when I was in, uh, in I, I don't even remember which class, probably New Testament class, one of the beginnings, my teacher always used to say, you got to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? So we got to go back here. Uh, there's, there's a but here. There's a transition here that Paul is making. And, and this transition is, is part of this argument that Paul is making, starting at verse, in chapter 1, verse 18, and going all the way up until 3, verse 20. And it's a portrait of God and, and really in relation to man. How, how do we relate to each other? I mean, Romans chapter 1, 16, you can turn the page back if you want. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And then in verse 18, he begins to really describe who God is. And here's what he says. And he starts with with the wrath of God. In verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain for them. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Right, this is kind of the beginning of Paul here, giving us uh, the character of God. And really, from, from this point to where we started in 321, there's really kind of three characteristics that, that Paul gives to God. He, I mean, he talks about God's wrath, but he talks about God as creator in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, the eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. You go down to verse 24 and 25. Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, the sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. God is the creator, is what Paul is saying here. We have this, this creator God, but this God is, is not just a creator. When you get to chapter 2, God is, is a judge. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. And, and he continues on all the way through verse 16, really. 
Verse 16, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Paul gives us this kind of outline of, of God as, as a judge. But you get to verse 3, and you get to, to our passage in verse 3, and I know I'm skipping a lot here. I'm trying to move through this whole thing fairly quickly, or else we're going to be here all day. But you get to verse 3, and it's, but now. And he's talking about the grace of God, that we have a creator God, and we have a God who is judged, but we, you know, we have a, a just and gracious God of the universe. We are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. This is the picture of God. This is the just and the gracious God of the universe. This is not a complete picture by any means of the character of God, but this is where Paul is coming from in our, in our, verse, in our verse in chapter 3. This, ju- this gracious God of the universe that he looked upon hopelessly sinful people. 3.23 in our passage for this morning, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, if you back up, it gives kind of even a grimmer picture of, of, uh, of people, of mankind. And in verse 9, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Man, this is a a hopeless picture of mankind here. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one even seeking God. This is is a quote here from Psalms. There is no one good. we We are hopelessly sinful people. We have rebelled against God. We are separated from God. And because of that rebellion, because of that separation, we are, we are dead without God. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. I mean, you go to Ephesians chapter 1, that we were dead in our transgressions. This is what he's talking about here. We are, we are hopelessly lost in our sin. The gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people. And here, here is... This is the gospel here. So he sent his son Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and show the power of sin in his resurrection. This just, gracious God of the universe looked upon us as hopelessly sinful people and sent his son Jesus Christ. Sent his son Jesus Christ to to bear his wrath against sin and to show his power over sin with the resurrection. And this is just, this is the gospel right here. This is the gospel that Jesus, and there's some things about Jesus that we need to know here. Jesus, Jesus' life displayed the righteousness of God. In his life, as Jesus was, was living his life, the righteousness of God was there. It was shown through him. He, Jesus, as a, as a human being, 
We have to understand that Jesus was, was 100% human and also 100% God. When we, when we mess with those percentages, we mess with the gospel. He was both. He was 100% human and 100% God. And his life, his, his human life, in his humanity, he displayed the righteousness of God. And in his death, he satisfied the wrath of God. Right? Even, even chapter 3, verse 25 He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Right? He, he was demonstrating his righteousness through God. God presents Jesus. Jesus' death satisfied the wrath of God. Now the language here is literally this, that God presented him as one who would turn away the wrath of God. God presented Jesus as the one who would turn away the wrath of God. The wrath of God that you and I both deserve for being in our sin. The wrath of God that Romans chapter 6 and Ephesians chapter 2 and, and all throughout Scripture that we are dead in, this wrath of God is turned away through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and it forgives our sins. And here's the, the reality this morning. The reality of the cross this morning is not so much that there were nails and, and put through the hands and the feet of Jesus. The reality this morning is that the, what happened on the cross, it was about our sins being thrust onto Jesus. That when he died, our sin was dead. And as he rose from the grave, sin and death were defeated. Right, Jesus, his life, he, when he was alive, he displayed the righteousness of God. When he died, he satisfied the wrath of God. And in the resurrection, Jesus demonstrated the power of God. Demonstrated the power of God in his, in his resurrection. And this is, this is the gospel. This is it. You and I, we're dead in our sins. We have a, a just and gracious creator God who looked upon us as hopelessly sinful people and then sent his son Jesus Christ to bear the wrath of sin on the cross and to demonstrate the power of God in his resurrection we continue on so that all who have faith in him would be reconciled to God so that all who have faith in God in Jesus would be reconciled to God now, God is the giver of this gospel. God is a few things I'll talk about in a second. God is the giver of this gospel. Right, we read in, in chapter 3, verse 24, that we've been justified freely by his grace. Now, I just want to ask you, it, it, this just justification, this passage, this is not, a, I guess I'm going to tell you, this is not an active verb. We are not justifying ourselves freely by the grace of God. This is an act of God to us. This, is the, this God is the giver of this gospel, that we do nothing. We do nothing but accept this freely given justification by God. We do nothing to earn it. We do nothing to bring it on. It is a gift of God. God is the giver of this gospel, but God is also the gift of this gospel. God is the giver, but God is also the gift of this gospel. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
Verse 21, you don't have to go there if you don't want. I'm just going to read it for you. Chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now God is the giver. We are justified freely by the grace of God. But, but what do we receive? We receive the righteousness of God. That we become the righteousness of God, as 2 Corinthians says. This is, I mean, this is amazing to me. God is the giver, God is the gift, and God is the goal of the gospel. God is the goal of this gospel. The goal of the, all of this is to display the character of God. I mean, right back in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Or 26, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So, that as, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. He did it so that he would get the glory. All glory goes to God. And all, with, all who believe, that all who have faith in God will be reconciled to him. And then there's this last word, forever. Forever. And when I, when I hear this word, forever, and I put it in the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't know about you, but there's just a sense of urgency that comes over me. Jordan says this all the time. There's everybody, anybody that I see, wherever I go, they're, they're going one of two places. Their lives are going in one of two directions. And it's not just for a bit. This is a forever thing. This is an eternity thing. That all who believe in Jesus Christ would be reconciled to God forever. The flip side is also true. The, the true that all who, who do not believe, that all who do not have faith in God will not be reconciled to God forever. And there's an urgency that comes with this, that we need to be people who live this gospel. We need to be people who, who know and believe this gospel. And this gospel is what matters. There are so many other things in our lives that, that become gospel to us. Quote, unquote, gospel. Right? We live in certain ways because we, we feel like this is what we're supposed to do. But this is not a biblical thing. This, this is scripture. This is the gospel. This is the core of who we are. And if it's not the core of who we are, we're doing it wrong. Amen. This is it. This is the gospel. The gospel is this, that the, the just and gracious creator of the universe looked upon you and me as hopelessly sinful people, that he sent Jesus to bear the wrath of the cross and to show the power over sin so that, he who has, that whoever has faith in him will be reconciled to God forever. Amen. This is the gospel, and the core of the gospel is Jesus Christ. Right. And faith in Jesus Christ. Now I go back to last week. Talk about the fruit. There is nothing that you can do that justifies you. This passage in Romans chapter 3 this morning, you are justified freely by the grace of Jesus Christ. This grace, unmerited favor. You do not deserve the grace that God is giving you, but man, he is giving it to you, and he's giving it to you freely. It is our responsibility to say, I believe. And my prayer is that this belief would, would, would spur us into action 
would spur our lives to show the grace that we have so freely, freely been given. Will we have that same kind of grace towards other people? Will we have the same kind of love that Jesus had towards other people? Will we be defined by this gospel? Would this be central to our lives? Would this be who we are? This is the gospel. May we live it. May we know it. May we share it. Let's pray. God, we love you. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. God, we're reminded this morning of the gospel. God, would you forgive us this morning for for claiming gospel that isn't of you? God, would we, would we this week, would we just center ourselves around this gospel? Would we find ourselves just joyful knowing that we are, we are part of this gospel, that we are the ones who have been justified freely, that we were those hopeless sinners that you looked upon, and that we are reconciled to you by faith in your son, Jesus Christ? Would we, would we live that? Would we know that? Would we find joy in that and peace in that this week, God? God, and as we go out into the world, as we go out into our workplaces and into our homes and into our communities, God, will we, would this gospel make a difference there? This is a life-changing gospel. This is a world-changing gospel. This is a, an eternity-shaping gospel. God, would we go out and would we live this gospel? Would people look at us and would they see the gospel? Would they see you as they look? God, we love you. We give you praise in this place, God, for who you are, for what you've done for us. We do not deserve the love and the grace that you give, but in this place, God, we accept it. God, if there are those of us in this place who have not accepted this grace and this love, Lord, we just have a sense of your love in this place that we have never felt before. And would we, would we run to that love? Would we run to that grace that we would accept you, that we would know you, that we would come to know you, and that we would begin to dedicate our lives to you, to this gospel. God, we love you. We give you praise. We give you thanks. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to leave you with a blessing. And before you leave, about maybe three or four minutes after service ends, um, we're going to do some anointing up front here. Uh, and so if you want to stick around, you're more than welcome to stick around and pray over those in the front who are being anointed. But let me just pray this, this prayer of blessing over you. May the God of this gospel this creator God, this just and gracious God. May you realize this week that he has looked on you, a hopeless sinner, and he has redeemed you by your faith. Would you go this week and would you live the gospel? 
Would you come to know the gospel deeper? Would you come to appreciate the gospel deeper? And would God just live in and through you this week that you would make a difference in your community? Go in peace and go in grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're dismissed.